0: Hey there, and welcome to the Wholehearted Life Podcast. Now, if you are anything like me, the young professional, I know that you are looking to live a more balanced and wholehearted life. Well, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do that. So let's go. Hello, welcome to the Wholehearted Life Podcast. I am here with my dear friend, Susan, and we are going to talk to you about... Uh, the spirit and how that can relate to addiction. So Susan, why don't you just tell us about you a little bit?
1: Um, Yeah, thank you, uh, Blaze. My background is in the psychology of mind-body wellness. I was just compelled to learn more and more in this area. I've had a lot of experience working with uh, people who are masters of maybe shamanic work or um, yoga or meditation leaders, um, people that have studied with other masters and have found you know things within themselves that they felt that would be uh, helpful to the world. Hmm. And so I've studied with many different people like that. And I also teach meditation and am a yoga instructor, which I actually call meditation, not asana, that's one part of yoga, and then also I've spent a lot of time um, doing different kind of seminars and uh, working with um, people that specialize in the mind-body connection. Okay.
0: Very cool, lots of fun things, and we actually met doing the meditation class right. that you did at Prana Yoga in Miami, so that was awesome. Um, okay, so what are you What are you most interested in in meditation? What really draws you to it?
1: I love uh, actually the conversation of meditation, so it's not just what uh, people can achieve in their own experience and helping them through that, but it's more about the conversation of who we are in life Um, how meditation can offer a safe place, actually, a safe place to grow. And, um, I like to uh, have that experience with people. And then every week, whatever, something always comes to me and I go, "Oh, this is for my meditation class. So something will happen in my life and then I'll bring it into the class and, um, also, I like meditation a little bit uh, more than other things that I um, experience because of the philosophy and all the history and you know just the perennial philosophy that is really the foundation of meditation practice.
0: Wow. Okay, so you said um, you do the kind of mind-body integration. So how do you, today we're kind of talking about uh, the spirit and the soul, I guess, would be maybe how I describe it. Would you describe it? Is that, were we on kind of the same page about that?
1: Yes. The spirit, yeah. soul.
0: And then that embodied with you, we were going to talk a little bit about addiction. So how have you, where do you connect the dots with those two things? And
1: Well, a long time ago when I was um, a child and you, I would hear the phrase that came from Native Americans called fire water. Mm. and um, so alcohol in uh, a lot of indigenous uh, traditions is called fire water because it is a lot of fire
0: literally yeah
1: I mean it creates a lot of fire in your spirit and so they were more in tune with uh, how we relate to the elements and the elements that are within each person of fire, water, air ether, earth Um, and so The use of fire, water, and they were—you know—even though I know that there is a lot of addiction uh, in certain populations more more than others. I don't actually. I'm going to take that back because I would say that they would recognize their addiction more. Mm -hmm. So there's a recognition in our society, in Western society, there is a kind of a smothering and a blanketing of the addiction of alcohol. Wow. And matter of fact, it's used as a rite of passage for teenagers, which is a very, very sad thing to me because I'd like to think that we have something much bigger and greater to offer young people as a rite of passage to adulthood other than alcohol. Yes. And so alcohol, um, you know, obviously you drink and you change, your personality changes, your thoughts change physically. you'll feel changes with alcohol. And I had a great conversation the other night at dinner with a friend of mine who's actually trying to quit drinking. So what he does is um, he drinks a lot. He admits it. He explains it, that he drinks every single day. And he said he was one uh, alcohol sto- uh, liquor store's biggest customer.
0: Wow, <laughs> well, that's kind of horrific. That's not an
1: alkaloid that anybody wants to uh, have. So no. he's very open, friendly, and, you know, and I, th- I take that openness, yes. um, you know, I wouldn't want to judge him, but also as his desire to grow. So he's exploring himself in a very meaningful way. And what he does is, so for a month at a time, he'll quit drinking altogether. Okay. And But then, of course, he always goes back to drinking. So when he's not drinking, he becomes more... Uh, reclusive Mm. and he becomes more um, he said he waits the whole entire 30 days he waits until the day that he could start drinking again so it's great that he's doing it Um, so what I offered to him was the recognition that alcohol is his best friend which he admitted to yes it's his best friend and you know in a lot of friendships and relationships we don't always have a good outcome with the relationship, yes. whether they're your best friend or not. You know, there's struggles, okay. there's arguments, there's things you don't agree on. But also um, I asked him if he could explore alcohol as a bully because it's kind of, it is bullying his life. It's taking over his life, it's making him into things that he doesn't really want to be. Yeah. And then the other thing was to explore those qualities that came up. Um, with these new identities relating to alcohol, and just explore them uh, to discover why, uh, what role alcohol plays in his personality and what it offers him and takes away from his life. And then the big question would be, who would he be without the alcohol? Mm. Because there's an awful lot of time, money, and energy invested Mm. in sitting and drinking. So, So for many people, this really deep dive into alcohol, drugs, so it could be anything, too. Right now, something that's popular is binge TV. Mm -hmm. So where maybe years ago, I would have criticized myself and said, wow, Susan, you're really spending a lot of time in a very uh, passive, non-involved process here with the television. You know, maybe I love movies, so maybe I'd watch two or three movies in a row. And that is a lot, that's six hours. and But now it's become popular to enjoy binge TV because a whole entire series is released at one time. Exactly. Yeah, so, um, and, and it's a fad. And, and you know, in a way I'm not, you know, I enjoy it too. Like I love Mozart in the Jungle, I start, I watch the whole thing, I happen to have a cold, so I spent a lot of time watching that. It was great entertainment. Mm-hmm. But again, what else maybe would I be doing with my life if I wasn't uh, in a passive experience with that uh, particular series? So whether it's that, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's food, alcohol, food, drugs, those are the big ones. Um, It could be overworking. It could even be a spiritual addiction where you're continually exploring but you never settle in to any particular philosophy or um, any particular, there's a saying, you don't need to um, dig a hundred wells, just pick one and keep digging for the water that's for you. So that kind of dedication and commitment. So with alcohol, there's a tremendous dedication and commitment if you're drinking every day or if you're spending six, eight hours, maybe on the weekend or or one particular night and, um, so that's a that's a huge commitment that you're making to that.
0: Right. And then it kind of pulls from, it pulls energy from other things that you could be doing. And then it pulls energy the next day because you're don't hungover and you don't feel well and then you're not productive. And, um, I have a question for you. So I find that when I drink, if I only drink maybe once or twice a week, but uh-huh. if I drink even two days in a row, I feel sometimes depressed that day yes. after so how yes. do you uh, you know you work with clients on this kind of stuff so what's then their experience and what what's your experience with this kind of feeling I mean we know alcohol is a depressant right but I know some people that they're like yeah I, can, I totally get that and some people are like no I've never gotten that in my life and I wouldn't I don't have depression or anything like that but I, I find that interesting. So
1: what are your thoughts? It is really interesting. You know, I think it's great that you recognize it. So when you say that other people don't experience it, I would guess that they're not recognizing that it's happening to them. Sure. So for instance, I was talking to a young girl um, and she told me, uh, she was in college, and she told me that on the weekend, starting on Fridays, when she and her friends would get ready to go out, they would each buy a fifth of vodka mm-hmm. and they would drink it before they went out. The whole thing? No, if they would drink like half. Oh gosh. And then they would go out, so they already drank a half of a bottle of vodka, so they probably didn't actually buy that much alcohol when they were out. They, maybe they would have one or two drinks because their motivation was to save money.
0: Sure, I've heard that one.
1: So, or they might not have had any drinks after the half bottle because that's pretty excessive. So this would go out on the weekend with her Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, so three days of really heavy, heavy, heavy drinking, Mm -hmm. Um, now two to three days at least of recovery where you really probably don't feel your best. And then after that, back to the drinking. Mm -hmm. So you're in a cycle, and yes, she did have depression. She had a lot of anxiety. She had a lot of issues going on um, that she hadn't recognized in herself that were related to alcohol. And then, of course, her experience with uh, young men was Mm. not positive because she wasn't uh, really present or coherent um, when she was meeting other people when she was out. So another person I know um, had a similar kind of thing going on. And so the depression, when I was a kid, they would say alcohol causes depression. But when I started drinking, I did not recognize it and it took actually a long long time to recognize it and i was like wow just what you described i feel really just down yeah it's down and then some people might say oh i'm tired today oh um i don't know i just don't feel quite right today they might describe it they don't have the courage to admit to themselves that it was related to the alcohol so yeah it definitely has that quality it's very very real like gobbles up your B vitamins like a little pac-man you know because B vitamins are water soluble Mm -hmm. so imagine it's all going through your system yes but um so another way I think of alcohol is like a slow drip on the liver Mm -hmm. you know drip 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 of alcohol it's you know obviously very uh, toxic to the liver and so if you were a frequent drinker um it would be a good idea to do a liver cleanse. It's a good idea to do a liver cleanse periodically anyway, like just do some juices and give it a rest, give the body a rest. So, but we're really talking, so these are like a lot of the physical, I always talk about what happens physically, but then what's happening emotionally and spiritually because the mind-body connection is on a continuum. So the body is the concentrated energy of the, of, of your energetics, of the energetic spirit of the body. The body itself is the concentrated energetics. And then when you go on the other spectrum, you know, you have your spiritual and soulful kind of energy. Yes. So these, like if you push them together, you can push them together and, and take them apart like taffy. They're constantly playing against mm-hmm. each other. And if you, you know, you can either have be totally disassociative where they're not connecting at all or they can be... Um, you know they are interconnected. So the more you have that recognition, the more health you have in many different areas. Wow! So a lot of times these addictions and these really compulsive behaviors—and um, I, of course, had to learn the hard way by having so many of them—are um, really signs, yeah, of a real desire for something deeper in life and. Um, You know, we started that with the spirit and and Native Americans and the fire water. So it is a real desire to have something uh, stronger and more meaningful in your life. And so, you know, but unfortunately a lot of times we go through to these addictions, um, you know, and desires. Like the word addiction and desire, they could cross over pretty intensely, I think.
0: Yeah, it's almost like... I was describing this to someone the other day. It's like I like the idea of like a cold drink, like a margarita or a beer, more than the actual thing, like because I desire it. But then on the same So you're
1: desiring ceremony. The yes, ceremony of the city. ritual. Yeah, and I think that that is really important mm-hmm. and ritual is a very yes. important um, aspect of humanity. But, you know, that's why I said alcohol is the re- ritual of young people, especially in the college environment. I think for a lot of people in the high school environment, that's when they first start. And so that is their ritual. So we need to provide uh, healthier and more deepening rituals than yes. alcohol.
0: I totally agree. And I also feel the deeper I get into my med- meditation practice, which is something I've just kind of started in the last few months, but... Uh, it's almost like, am I going to drink? How will this bring me to a higher level of consciousness? It won't.
1: Therefore, I choose not to.
0: That's I love that. has been kind of like my prof- like thought yeah. process. Do you
1: know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I think that is really, really great. You have a lot of um, really good awareness about hmm. I Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you do. Because that, that's what's important. So you know Wayne Dyer? He was very, um, he was on PBS a lot. He was a great spiritual leader. He wrote The Erogenous Zones. That's where he became famous. Yeah. Very connected with Louise Hayes. He passed a few years ago. But he always tells people, it was probably maybe 10 years ago or so, that um, someone told him, they said, if you keep drinking, you're never gonna get where you wanna be. And mm-hmm. so he totally, he said it wasn't, he was not a big alcohol drinker, but it was you know more uh, like beer. Yeah. And so he just gave it up completely. Yeah. Because it alters, you know, another thing that happens physically is the pineal gland gets calcified. Okay. And that's What's the pineal gland? Or... The pineal gland is, you know, in your brain you have like almost right in the center of the brain are all these super great glands that regulate uh, so many important functions in our body. So the pineal gland is directly behind your eyes. And yes. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's actually designed just like an eyeball. So that's why the third eye is at your eyebrow center and goes directly back into the pineal gland. So something that's great to do is um, you can go on YouTube and uh, you can Google pineal gland and there's all different kinds of sounds to help activate and uh, help the pineal gland grow. Yeah. So if you're listening to theta sounds or some of the um, different levels, it's a um, really powerful way to start to activate it so that's where you know a lot of your intuition is with the pineal gland and the connection to um you know the greater spirit the third eye, So yes. all those qualities come through that um and so another thing physically let's say you're in child's pose and your yeah. forehead's on the mm-hmm. ground that massages the pineal gland yes. and then of course activating the vagus nerve into the uh, parasympathetic nervous system also helps activate the pineal gland so it wants to function, um, you know, obviously vibrationally and through a state of calm. And so with alcohol, you know, alcohol is not a state of calm. No. It is fire water. And um, it has an agitating, a very agitating um, aspect to the spirit.
0: Yeah. So what would you say to – we're kind of just thinking, like, what would you say to the person – who is maybe ready to, I, I kind of feel like I have two folds of questions. So like, what would you say to the person who is maybe struggling with their relationship with alcohol? And what would you say to that same person who's then trying to build a deeper
1: connection with their, themselves? Right, so I would say that alcohol is, so when you see someone, uh, uh, it's sort of like a not-healthy vision quest, right? <laughs> because when people go out, like, you know, just a very innocuous thing. I want to go to happy hour. I want to go to happy hour with uh, the people I work with or I want, me- want to meet my friends at happy hour. Um, that's a very innocuous thing, but over time it has a big impact. Mm-hmm. So Ayurvedically, in Ayurvedic yeah. medicine, they always say to monitor. Nothing's wrong. We don't demonize anything, but understand your system and how it's affecting you and the fire and heat that are contained in alcohol. So maybe you have the kind of system that needs a little yes, bit. You know, which would be, you know, just a little bit. It's not two, three, four drinks, you know, it's just, you know, to have a little bit and sip it and worth. enjoy it. So um, you know, one thing is to slow down, really slow down and recognize how things are affecting you. But another thing is that there's so much conditioning of acceptance of alcohol, that you could have a, you know, an emotional situation where you're like, I don't really know how to relate to people unless I have a drink in my hand. Oh. So you have to choose something else.
0: Okay, so this brings me to an interesting experience that I had with someone that, um, a dear friend of mine that I think is struggling. We did something sober together, and for me that's normal because I do, you know, I'm yeah. in fitness, I'm doing <laughs> yoga, I'm meditating, whatever. But we, like, we went rollerblading together. This was, like, years ago. But we weren't drinking or doing any, like, drugs or anything So I don't do that stuff. And it was, like, weird. Like, it felt weird. And I – and she is such a social person that it was interesting to me, now that you say that, that, like, there was this awkward energy. Like, I felt bad that we were sober. Is that weird?
1: It's sad. Yeah. I think it's and so that makes sad. me think
0: that, you know – There's this big social piece that people use it. Obviously, we know people use it as a crutch, but I think it's deeper
1: than that. It is deep. I think it's deeper than that, too. Like, you really have this thing where you just don't know how to relate. So many people I know that are successful with AA, Excuse me, their circle of friends, a lot of times, are also in AA, which is helpful because they don't have to uh, worry about the alcohol issue. But then when they go places where there's alcohol, you know, parties, whatever... They just don't stay long because it's not interesting oh, yeah. to end up in garbled conversation, you know. Yeah. After, you know, whatever, two hours probably it starts to, the conversation probably starts to go south. Oh, yeah. And um, the funniest person to someone drinking is the person that's drinking. It's yes. never funny to the other people. I know, I know. You're know? right. And, you know, and it is sad, you know, and it does affect our relationships with people. So I think you have to be ready, you know, you have to really desire that change and be ready to to take it on, take it on like, you know, for the betterment of yourself and, and other people. So also if you don't drink a lot or if you're aware of alcohol, you'll notice how the conversation changes, even at a dinner party, you know, like where there might be like a nice exchange of information like we're having right now. Sure. Voices get louder, the yelling, the trying to talk over each other and this kind of thing, you know, it starts to, it's not the best of people, you know. And so a lot of people, again, the conditioning, we're conditioned to think or to have the louder voice ourselves. Like, okay, well, I'll just make my, you know, oh, yeah, it's like that. Okay, so I'll shout over and the other, ha, 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 you know, and it gets like that where you can't really have any kind of a significant conversation or anything. Yeah so so how how do you go about with your clients?
0: so let's say someone listening to the show, how does someone who wants to achieve we've talked about you know they need to be prepared that their relationships might change because the people they hang out with, of course, that really does show you know who's your friend who's not, but how would you say someone who's looking to shift their uh, focus from maybe you know drinking socially or however much they drink to drinking less or drinking not at all, and what what techniques do you use with your clientele to, to achieve that kind of thing?
1: Well, um, that that is a really big big question yeah. and has a really long answer. In the sense that, for one person, they could start on that and they could have a slam dunk. Like when I first started meditating, um, I was with a group and it was just a slam dunk for me. I knew it. I could feel it in my, you know, in my in my soul. I could feel exactly where the meditation was reaching me. I, I had a tremendous desire to have a safe place within myself. Oh. Uh, but for a lot of other people, it was much harder for them that were in that group. So it's the same thing. When you make a change, the person might be so ready that a couple, you know, a couple conversations or whatever, they're ready. They take it on. They accept it, and they and they go through the change. Other people, it could be many tries at AA. Sure. You know? AA is a very very. Um, a uh, uh, positive experience for so many people. I know people that have gone, and you, you're not gonna talk them out of a meeting. It gives them so much. They feel very safe. They can have honest conversations because everybody is vulnerable in, in the room. And, uh, but you know, right time, right place. Mm-hmm. So that's why I try to explain to people some things. You have to start with your physical being on a certain level and make sure that you're satisfied Physically, so you know, like if you're starving yourself all day and then you're waiting till the end of the day to eat, you're going to crave a lot of things. You're going to crave food, and if alcohol is the first thing available, you're going to have that. So, um, so you have to make sure that your eating rhythm is right, that you're eating to satisfaction, that your body is uh, getting what it needs, and then and then look at the other side of your story in terms of spiritually. For myself, alcohol was a very normal thing in my family. Okay. I mean, my parents drank every day. Yeah. And they sat at the table. And I would say mostly they had very nice conversations. It was very much their era to do that. Um, they weren't going to go out and exercise. You know, we I'm from a family of eight. So sitting around the table and talking, you know, um, was pretty common. Yes. And my <laughs> friends would come over and they would enjoy it. They'd say, oh, I love how your parents sit and talk. But you know, over time it got to be a very poisonous uh, experience, wow. but we were all brought up with that habit, just like Sunday dinner. Mm-hmm. And so it was very integrated personally into my being to relate to people through alcohol. So it just depends on a lot of different factors yes. uh, like that. Uh, so you really have to look at your life. Uh, what if you have a situation where your spouse is a heavy drinker and a lot of your relationship in the marriage is relating to alcohol you're relating to each other through alcohol which is a poisonous toxic type of substance which and relationships so where's the health in your relationship so i think that a couple like that is gonna if they want to continue their relationship in a positive way not everybody does Mm -hmm. yeah they're gonna want to go to a, a couple's therapy and um but there are many, many options of, of positive things that you can do to uh, to make, it, make significant changes.
0: Cool. So,
1: um, what about? I'm trying to think of maybe
0: like a closing, a closing thought. So, do you do you drink at all?
1: Yes, I do. Okay.
0: <laughs> cool. But it sounds like you have not- very positive. <coughs> positive relationship or I've worked towards a positive relationship uh,
1: yeah a positive relationship what I would say is that anyone that drinks Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's just one drink is going to have experiences that they don't like with alcohol because alcohol has a lot of power and so just like when you light a match or let's say you lit a bonfire that has a lot of power so you're going to want to manage the flames right so you want to manage the flames of alcohol what i found is that um, I cut way, way back because like I said, I was brought up in, a, in an environment where we drank every day. So I would drink alcohol like coffee. It wasn't to get drunk or anything like that. It was just like eating or drinking coffee or anything. Routine, habit. It was routine and habit, exactly. So now um, typically I might drink with a friend when we go out to dinner or, or maybe mm-hmm. if I'm at a party or something. And now I try to keep it to one drink. Okay. So I used to allow myself two and I found that two was not I, I just didn't like it. It just there were there it was it just had too too much of an effect like with the um the after effects. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I was a little tired the next day, it made me angry at myself that I allowed that to happen. Yeah. So now I'm at one and maybe I'll become none. And I don't I don't feel like it affects my life in terms of job performance or no. spending a lot of money on it or anything like that. So um, I think it's reasonable. I think Ayurvedically with my system, they'd say I need more sure. heat in my system, so alcohol is an okay thing. Of course, I like beer. Ayurvedically, they would say don't drink beer because it's heavy and it's weighted. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, it, you know, it was a big lesson for me learning all these things. And right? it takes time. Happy to share it with other people, you know. like Like sometimes, you know, there's certain people in the world, they don't have to live it to know it. But a lot, of the, a lot of the things that I help people with, um, maybe it was the gift that the world gave to me, that I had to live it to know it.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. With compulsive
1: eating, alcohol. You know, I just, I just thought I was a really fun person. <laughs> yeah, we all like
0: to think we're super
1: fun. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: that's what I thought about myself. Okay, so I guess my last... Now this is
1: super fun. Yeah, this is super fun. I love this. This is yeah.
0: like, oh, so much fun. Okay, yeah. so my last question for you, uh, just with the whole Heart of Life podcast and what I'm trying, my kind of mission with this whole thing, basically just my life, but my life being a reflection of the things I want to do in this world. How do you, when do you feel most soulful? And like, when do you feel at your,
1: your most soulful? Well, connected. yeah. I think uh, we go back to the word ritual. So I really needed to create commitments and ritual in my life Mm -hmm. so that my life wasn't completely driven by desires and addictions. Mm -hmm. So I get very addicted to things, positive and negative. I'm the same way, oh my gosh. So I have to really stay on the positive side. So you know, throughout all my studies and just my, my really like a tremendous need to know that there was something better in life. I really didn't think that I was being offered and I say offered because when you look around, there's a lot of temptation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like I was making the choices and looking at the offerings that were the most positive. I needed to change that, that okay. uh, the, the way I was looking at things. And I'll tell you, I was a totally normal person. There wasn't anything unusual about me. Sure. And so to heal pain, to create ritual, to bring out the best in me, I needed to make a lot of changes because some of that was muffled. You know, because our society is driven by gossip and that's a very poisonous uh, conversation to have with people. So I needed to build, and I needed to build rituals in my life. I needed to find ways to express myself so that I could both be vulnerable but be safe. And I just started expressing myself more and more. So one thing I do is I paint Right now I'm doing a Buddha series, not because I'm a good drawer, I am not. Um, but I love painting, I love abstract painting, so. Beautiful. People come in the house and it's so funny. Sometimes they compliment them, which is fine. I, I don't, I, I'm not doing it for that reason. But sometimes they'll go, oh, you, you got your therapy out. No, it's not therapy, it's a part of me. Or, well, really? you reach, you reached an age where you want to have that kind of expression. No, huh? I always, the age in there. Right. I always, I always felt, I always wanted the freedom to express myself. Oh. So we have these kind of really subliminal judgments about different activities in life that are super positive, super fun. Um, you know, like, like rollerblading, you mentioned, there's like an age, right now I'm scuba training, I'm getting my scuba yeah. certification. And someone said to me, why now?
0: What do you my mean why is, now? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So painting—that's really beautiful. um Cool. That's interesting to me because I have always felt compelled to. This is kind of a side note, but I always felt compelled to dance, and I grew up wanting to That's dance. Right. And yeah. my mom—I have three brothers, so I never actually like danced around. It wasn't like I was neglected. She was just like, "Let's go swim and run and all right, that Right, right, right. She had
1: to keep them busy. Exactly. So
0: we were doing all that, and then like I remember like being in my live in my game room and like turning on music and wanting to dance but not knowing how and then like this whole thing developed and now I'm a dance instructor and so when you, you say are? yeah and so oh. when you say painting that's how I feel like I feel it's that exactly dancing is me thing. like dancing is me because it's how I I don't do it for money I don't do it for how I look I literally do it for me like on Sundays my rest day like I, I go to the gym
1: and I just like dance uh-huh. by myself that's great it's so, exactly like that now, if yeah. somebody came up and wanted to pay you, you might say yes. Yeah, of course. But it's not the motivation. Like I like no. to write, and the idea of writing to be published I've had a couple little articles on health and wellness published. But if I felt like I had to write to make money, that would that would be like putting salt on a worm. It would make me shrink. Yeah. Because there's so much judgment attached mm-hmm. to that. And I really am fascinated by very famous people because as much as we admire them, I think they go through an awful lot, oh, an God. awful lot, to maintain that kind of presence in the world.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. For oh, my listening. pleasure. You Thanks are for amazing. To me. Of course, that is what we're here for. And okay, so um, leave us with a quote. Leave us with something that can tie in this idea of spirit, or doesn't even have to be a quote, a thought, anything. Because you have, I noticed you kind of threw them in throughout the conversation. Oh. They were very like made me. Reflect, reflect, reflect. Oh, so if yeah, you have yeah. one you want to leave us with, and then we will um, move on with our
1: Well, day. you know, I have mad love, like many people, for Rumi. And yes. I find him uh, especially fascinating as a 12th century. He was a poet and a, and a philosopher. And and I try to imagine him walking down the street in his day-to-day life and just anything by Rumi. Um, yeah, I mean, to to have his truth be my truth is
0: okay
1: really really uh, powerful
0: amazing matter
1: of fact just thinking about it makes me crap oh yeah.
0: wow thank you so much my pleasure all right let's thank you so much for listening to the wholehearted life podcast i hope you really enjoyed today's content and i will be sharing more and more with you as the weeks go on If you liked what you listened to today, please consider writing me a review and rating this podcast. I would totally appreciate it. Maybe just a few sentences telling everyone what you liked about the show.